This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to My Life in Books, Authors Talking Books, presented by blind writer and broadcaster Red Sale from his home in London, England. Hello and welcome to a very special first birthday edition of My Life in Books. Today I'm joined by not one but three guests, all of whom should be familiar to regular AMI listeners, and all of whom love talking books. In fact, like me, they just love talking. So, rather than me provide a pen portrait for each of them, I'll allow them to introduce themselves. Just as if we were in the library, let's go in alphabetical order. Dave, you first. Hi, I'm Dave Brown. I'm the host of Now with Dave Brown, which is a show on AMI's airwaves. I am a passionate traveler, not so much during a global pandemic, but I'm really delighted to be here. And Kelly. Thank you very much, Red. Um, hi to everybody listening in. And I am the host of Kelly and Company, another program, our afternoon show on AMI-audio and available via podcast. Um, always have had a passion for broadcasting and been an avid reader all of my life when it was first introduced to me. And last but not least, Ramya. Hey, Red. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Ramya, and I am the co-host of Kelly and Company on AMI-audio, also the host of the weekly podcast AMI-audiobook review. And that's where we talk all things audiobooks, also on ami I love to travel like Dave, um, but haven't been doing a lot of it either. However, have been getting around on tons and tons of walks. So loving my nature walks lately uh, with an audiobook in my ear. That's our dramatist person I for this episode of My Life in Books. So welcome one and all. And let's get started with the early years. I learnt to read in print but have gradually lost my sight to retinitis pigmentosa, which has meant I've had to learn a whole new set of skills. Kelly, uh, I believe that you've got retinitis pigmentosa as well. How did you learn how to read? Well, I actually thought all my life I had um, RP, but then did the genetic testing, found out that it's considered Leber's congenital uh, amaurosis. So I, I then kind of had to rethink and a bunch of people from my era found the same thing. I learned uh, to read large print and discovered audiobooks when the lady from the CNIB when I was about nine or 10 years old came to the house and shared them with my parents and I and I started becoming an avid reader I'm also an old-time radio show fan so it, it come for me by that skill of oh wow I love to listen and finding that reading for me large print was a bit of a struggle so I found that uh, a chore and could never at that point even then have read long enough to enjoy it yeah, it has to be said, I always wondered why I couldn't keep up with the other kids at school. Oh. And in some ways, getting my diagnosis was actually a bit of a light bulb moment. I would imagine. And for me, everything had to be so big, dark, like for the contrast, even using a visual tech at the time, it just took all the fun and the eye strain was just too much. So when audiobooks, or at the time, talking books were introduced to me, it was just a whole different gamut. Um, the only thing I needed help with was filling out the form to choose the books. And my poor parents had to sit there for hours reading descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> and Ramya, I know you've complained of eye strain as a child as well. Mm -hmm. It actually took me forever to engage with reading. Uh, and I'm talking about for pleasure. You know, we had moments growing up in classes, specifically English class or, you know, some kind of homeroom situation where they would say, okay, an hour a day, we're going to be reading everybody. And I was like, oh, great. What am I going to do? I guess I'll pretend to read uh, because I just couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't pick up novels. The, the, the print was too small. I was not really willing to advocate for myself on that level yet. And even though audiobooks were, I think at that point, like Kelly said, they were called talking books. They had been introduced to me through the CNIB. I wasn't fully engaged with the concept of reading, with the understanding of 
I can pick stories and go through them. Uh, and that's awesome. I, I really didn't do that until I was maybe in grade six or seven. So for several years, I pretended to read with my classrooms and just um, wanted to get the prizes for moving up <laughs> in the reading level. There's your golden star. Come on up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and Dave, you had a, a different set of challenges to deal with as far as learning to read too. Yeah, I, I was born legally blind. Uh, I'm an albino, so I've about what you'd call nine or 10% vision. So I'm nearsighted, I'm farsighted. So when I was really, really young, I remember I used to get uh, books printed in really big fonts, like 18, 20, 24 point fonts. So they were they were big enough for me to read, but even then it would still cause a little bit of eye strain. I remember when I was a little bit younger, I got introduced to like the little loop magnifying glasses that almost look a bit like a shot glass which i still use to this day i really i really like using them to read small fonts i find they're fairly portable enough to bring around and i remember also being offered uh, like cctv services for magnifying purposes but as kelly identified sometimes that took the real fun out of reading that you had to sit in front of a tv or you had to be somewhere away from everybody to go do to go do that reading so in my case i was lucky in the sense that there were tools available to me but it made it really tough for me to actually enjoy the act of reading yeah one of the things that people always used to say is, to me is you need more light you need more light and actually that just gave me splitting headaches yeah and uh yeah i mean all these products that are, are produced for maybe people losing their sight later in life where yeah extra light is absolutely vital don't always work when you're that bit younger and trying to read the small print in those cheap paperback books that you're given in your english classes <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah in a way i'm really grateful that that i was given some of those large font books when i was when i was young but i maybe got the impression as i was moving through elementary school that it was becoming quite tedious especially as books were getting longer to produce that much material and i wonder if that's actually why they started to try to get me onto the magnifying glass and the cctv i think what's coming out of this is that actually technology has made a huge amount of difference to how we can access our books and made it a lot more pleasurable to read. Kelly? Yeah, I think I think so with the possibilities, the portability, but I also think back in when I was really getting into audiobooks, it was kind of shunned upon for that to be the way for a child to learn anything. It, it was you have to be able to read. Yeah, but I struggle with reading, which takes away my interest in reading. It kills it for me or makes it that I have to focus so hard on what I'm trying to do. I can't retain what I'm trying to learn. And it really became a, a bad negative loop, whereas now they're a little more open to if someone needs that books available by audio, certainly read it that way. And you don't have to be low vision or blind to, to be able to be granted that privilege and the respect for the audiobooks that wasn't there when I was a kid. It, it was almost deemed cheating. I always think of it as the Harry Potter effect, certainly over here in the UK. Adults and children alike just wanted to listen to the Harry Potter books on audio with Stephen Fry over here narrating them. And suddenly it became a cool thing to do rather than a, 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 a niche activity that maybe sighted people thought was an easy option. Yeah, and an option that, well, you, you must have to be have a reading challenge to be able mm. to do that or, or to have to do that. I think, as you say, when it became cool, it became that listening experience. But let's face it, until podcasts and things like that, so many people just wouldn't listen. It was mm. like it had to be retaught. Indeed. Now, it sounds like all of us actually had a bit of a struggle with physical books and possibly maybe a bit of a love-hate relationship with reading when we were little. What was the book that really turned you on to reading? Ramya. So the book that I absolutely loved and the first time I heard it, um, it wasn't me reading it because you already know I wasn't reading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the first time I heard it, I, it was a teacher who read it to us. And there was this moment, I, I can even picture myself sitting there, we all sit cross-legged in front of the teacher, she's in a, a rocking chair reading this novel, and thinking, oh my gosh, I, I need to read. Because this book, which is Loser by Jerry Spinelli, made me feel like 
I was wandering around in this book. And and I use those words because the main character in the book was special or different or, or disabled. It, it's not really clear, but it was someone who just had so much trouble fitting in. Everybody would bully him or laugh at him and, and he would enjoy life because he was just so oblivious to what was going on around him. And at that age, I think it was in grade five, I felt for that character and I felt for myself through that character. And I decided around that time that this is the kind of emotion that books can evoke in me. And I don't know, it was just such a grown-up moment for me to to figure out that this is what books do for me, which is why I keep going back to that book. Uh, honestly, it's been years, like at least two decades since I picked up that book, but I feel like it's uh, something that will always stay with me and sit with me uh, because of what it did the first time. And the audiobook version nowadays, is that beautifully narrated? You know what, Red? I have no idea. I've never, this is one of the few books that I haven't gotten revisited in audio. I remember it as an audio book because it was read to me, but not because I had gone back and explored it. I almost want to preserve it that way. <laughs> and Dave, was it empathy that first turned you on to reading or was it a specific story? Well, in my case, my family was very much into education and reading became something more of an obligation, that it was something that we had to do. So I would read just uh, like Gordon Corman books or Matt Christopher books. Not to say that these aren't good books to read, but they weren't particularly interesting. I read them because my parents would make me read. But something happened when I turned about 14 or 15 and I was exposed to a Kurt Vonnegut book called Cat's Cradle. And I'd never read anything like this in my entire life. I was like, it was so postmodern. It was so weird. I didn't even understand what I was reading. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of that era of literature and I eventually came across The World According to Garp by John Irving and I remember the first time I read that and every time I've read it since it reminded me that wow reading doesn't need to be a point A to Z process there can be something truly marvelous in the storytelling that can make you laugh can make you cry can make you feel so many emotions in between and you just fall in love with these characters, these real complicated characters. And and that is the book. So it came a little later in life for me, but that was the book that turned me into a reader. And Kelly, how did you wean yourself off listening to old time radio? If you're anything like <laughs> me, I'd stay up all night listening oh, yeah. to those old Philip Marlowe type radio plays from the 30s and 40s. Well, I, I, as, a, as a really young boy, I remember going on camping trips or going to, to bed at night and my father would come in and read Brothers Grimm to me stuff. But particularly The Valiant Little Tailor was my favorite little story. And it was because he was an underdog. He was a man who was, I guess, misunderstood and thought to be a hero that he wasn't because people would read the seven and one blow that was written uh, on, on a, I can't think if it was his smock or what it was. But the, the idea that he had put that on because he killed seven flies not seven men. And at the time, the story, oh, he killed seven men. It's like the notches on the belt of the Western guys. Um, and then my father started getting me reading with him detective books that he liked, which some of those were old time radio shows that I would down the road learn. But just having someone read out loud and the descriptions I remember my dad always trying to skip the descriptions. There's a large valley. It's lush. Oh, and just skip ahead. No, no. I liked the words. I liked hearing that. I liked picturing it in, in my head. And I could see enough then to kind of get an idea to imagine and connect that with even descriptions that you'd get watching television. Um, my parents would tell me, oh, it's a, it's a beautiful valley. You can see the apple trees and things like that. So I was very fortunate to have some of that with TV watching and the reading and um, I think Lord of the Flies was the longest one. My dad and I, I don't even know if we ever finished it. We'd start reading it, stop, because that would have been a pretty heavy book at, at seven, eight years old uh, for me. But I liked the idea of the children. So 
it was stuff like that, smaller stuff. We didn't really repeat a lot, but he really jumped me into my my love for private detectives, stories, TV, radio shows, and and books. So I think that's what got me going. And when I had that opportunity to start reading audio books and having them read to me, it was just like being with my dad all over again. I am itching to sit down and just start discussing all those great detective stories with you. But I am aware that time is against us and we do have (laughs) another two guests in this meeting. I think it's time to take a break and then let's find out how your reading journey carried on through your later years at school and afterwards. Share your views on the books you love with Red. Email feedback at ami.ca or leave a voicemail by calling 844-971-1999. This is My Life in Books on AMI-audio. More from Red and his guest this week in a moment. Welcome back to My Life in Books on AMI-audio with host Red Sale. Welcome back to My Life in Books. This month, I'm in conversation with Dave, Kelly and Ramya from AMI, and we're comparing notes about the way we access books and what we enjoy reading. Dave, you're the one who doesn't listen to audiobooks as a matter of course, since you can still read visually, but have you been won over to them or would you still actually prefer to be reading the print? So I love being read to. Right from the time I was a kid, I used to love it when my grandparents or my aunts or my dad or my mom or even my sister would read to me. I adored it. I love consuming content like that. And I still listen to audio formats, uh, things like podcasts and radio all the time. And yeah, I, I think especially as a matter of passing the time and trying to relax and more passively consuming content, I love being read to. So I'm definitely a fan of the form. And Kelly and Ramya, I take it like me, you have a subscription to one of the major audiobook providers, which are helping send people into space. And also... And also to the CNIB library as well. Yeah, Ramya, I'll say it for myself, thank you. I'm too cheap to (laughs) to actually pay for books, so I'll always belong and always have to any resource. And I'm not fussy enough. I'm not a book recommender, and I don't really take a lot of recommendations because I don't remember them when people tell me, you should read this. Oh, that sounds great. I'll forget later on while I'm looking at other descriptions. So I'll go in and look and find stuff that way. So I've always been okay with really doing the CELA library or, or CNIB library back in the day. And I often use books to fall asleep to books, uh, any audio content. And I think that goes back to the childhood realm. Yes, I'm all audio everything nowadays, right? If I'm reading for work, then yes, I'll use a screen reader, but anything else I prefer to have in human narrated audio Um, and anything where you can give me production value, I will take it. So Audible is where I go um, for my one credit a month. And that is just the bare minimum. After that, CELA or Center for Equitable Library Access here in Canada does an incredible job just putting together, curating, uh, as well as producing um, audiobooks and getting collections from Bookshare and the CNIB library and everywhere else uh, to give us just the most, just the most catalog of books in human or synthetic audio, as well as Braille and in DAISY format. It's just everything, um, which I mean, in an, on an access point of view, that is incredible. Like there's nothing that I've searched up thus far that isn't available in audio um, on Sela or through Audible in some sort, which is huge, right, compared to what you guys were saying earlier. Uh, it is incredible. I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time to be an audiobook user. Certainly over here, we're finding that more and more of the publishers are donating their books to the RNIB Talking Books Library. And so, yeah, on the day of publication, my wife, who's sighted, and I can sit down and start reading the same book. And usually I finish before her, which is a a first. But yeah, also, I mean, all three of us have mentioned how much we like 
theatrical productions, either on the radio or on stage. And I think one of the really exciting things about audiobooks now is that you're getting ensemble casts. You might get two or three or sometimes even four narrators reading the different points of view in an audiobook. And that makes it far more like a radio play and, and far more alluring for me. Kelly, as our resident Shakespearean. <laughs> What's that mean, a ham? Yeah. <laughs> oh, do, do you find this an exciting development as well? Well, I find it's wonderful having two, three, or four readers. The ensemble cast, because of what is needed to do it the way that I would love, like, I mean, I'm not a huge, long, long book reader, but eight, 10 hours book, to get those mm-hmm. that way would be more challenging. But I even love when they have enough sound effects. I think the first stuff that I really found years ago that uh, had sound effects were some of the Star Trek books when they would come out. And I'd read those and I was like, mm-hmm. wow. And all it had to be is the sound of the bridge. They'd move somewhere. But just to have that in and to see that grow and now to find readers that do so much with their voice, play the different characters, and how that 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 piece is directed of audiobook for 8, 10 hours, 12 hours. It's just beautiful. So definitely a fan of it. Yeah, you know, one of the sort of the things that I've observed is on the nonfiction front, I love it when somebody who uh, wrote an autobiography about themselves narrates their autobiography in their own voice. I think that just elevates mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah, and actually, Ramya, you're uh, a real fan of autobiographies read by the person who written them. Yeah, I'm going through a well, total phase of that right now, Dave. You know what you're saying about, well, authorators or just having someone who wrote the book present it, perform it. And it doesn't have to be super produced, right? It doesn't have to be filled with all kinds of uh, new and fresh and colorful elements, but just the fact that it's coming straight from their connection to writing. I I will say not everyone who writes a book is amazing at performing (laughs) it, but there's something just so authentic. I mean, yeah, if you read your fair share, you will say it. But um, (laughs) it's, it's just the authenticity behind hearing the word straight from Alicia Keys's mouth or Will Smith's mouth. And it doesn't even have to be somebody super famous or, or trending in terms of celebrity land right now. But these people are putting in the effort to say, I'm going to create an audiobook out of this book. And it's not just that they're reading the book out loud. They've actually, you know, used verbiage throughout or described things in ways that are meant to be listened to and not read, which I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, a narrator can really make or break an audiobook. And without mentioning any names, I certainly have heard a couple of celebrities who should not have been allowed to read their own books. (laughs) It's detrimental to their book. (laughs) But uh, but adversely read, the same with people. I'm struggling reading a book because I'm just not liking what the narrator is doing with it. And it's not that it's bad. It's a mix of voice and just the way it comes off. And you kind of hate that. You feel guilty, but you also feel like you're not giving the book it's due mm. and and simply you know you can still read a book yeah. and it be a good reader and still hate it you know like that's a little bit on the publisher though too right that, that they is. have to consider like the True. aesthetic of what they're doing so for example one of the books i recommended last segment the average american male if you look at the kindle rating or you look at like the goodreads rating it's like 60 65 if you look at the audible rating it's one star out of five and i think that Ooh. i think that that speaks Oof. to just like the narration was atrocious yep. also i mean thinking about some of the language in there maybe uh <laughs> when it's put out in spoken word <laughs> it doesn't quite sound as pleasant <laughs> it's interesting too because of what's in your head right like we always say that just like it, when you watch a movie that's been a been a book read the book first because you get all those descriptions but does the movie live up to the character what you yeah. already have decided that person sounds like does looks like the environment looks like yeah and also i mean conversely i've read a couple of books recently that have had a lot of dialect in them, a lot of words I just didn't even know how to pronounce. And when somebody else does the heavy lifting for you, when somebody takes that really heavy Glaswegian accent, then suddenly a book like, say, Shuggy Bane can be completely opened up to you. And and I found myself recommending the audiobook mm. to sighted friends who are saying, I just can't get my head around this book. A hundred percent. I've read books where, you know, we're talking about Gone with the Wind. And that was a book that I first read with synthetic audio or, you know, using a screen reader. And I felt like I missed half the book. 
just because of the way that voiceover would pronounce this or that. And I was like, I don't even know what this person is saying anymore. Um, so you, mm. you lose characters, you lose context, you lose accents, you lose a lot of things. Whereas a performer who can bring that to you, yeah, you can kind of feel more relaxed. You can feel more uh, like you're just understanding the book on a very basic level, understanding exactly what's happening, the the difference between people and communities and geography, all kinds of things when somebody who's supposed to read it properly does a good job. In the olden days, you had a lot of volunteerism reading the book, so they would make those mistakes. They didn't have the director. You had the editor who would just go in and cut the mistakes that, that they made or so take it back and, and the old-fashioned way. But we were just so overjoyed to have access to the book. Mm-hmm. We had no idea that person's butchering the names, the dialect or whatever it might be in such a horrible way because we were happy to have it. Now the the, the game is amped up so high I sit back and when I listen to these readers go back and forth, you sit there and say, if this, they make this into a movie, this, this narrator should be <laughs> the star of it. Yeah, absolutely. So since we're talking about books that we love, could each of us come up with a book that we've read recently that we would like to share with the listeners? Dave? So Red, in my case, I'm not going to pull out a recent one, but I am going to pull out a book that I recommend to anyone who has not read it because it's been 16 years since I closed it and I think about it almost every single day because of how much it devastated me. The book's called The Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. It's 800 pages of torture. And it's so beautifully written, and it's a historical snapshot of India in the mid-20th century. It is something that I think about every single day. And when it comes to consuming content, that's what I look for. So if someone is looking for their next book and can plunge through 800 pages and doesn't mind breaking down crying on public transit Mm -hmm. as they finish it, uh, I would go with that one. I have to respond to this, Red, because the last time Dave recommended a book, he said uh, very similar lines toward the end. He said, I burst out in tears in public, and that's what made me read the book. So, Dave, I'm on the list. And then that book you were recommending at that point was The Unbearable Lateness of Being. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. And Ramya? Okay, I will pick a recent read because it also impacted me in such a way, and I really will just put it down to the writing style of this author. So it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. It's got a bit of fantasy in it, but I don't think fantasy is what makes this book. I think what makes this book is the absolute poetry behind almost every single sentence. Everything is quotable. Uh, Every time I would put this book away, I'm like, can I remember everything I need to let somebody else know that I've heard in this just to quote it because it was so beautifully written that way the author is v.e schwab s-c-h-w-a-b and invisible life just it was just a roller coaster you know it's a century plus worth of this character who is immortal because of a deal that she made with the devil and because of that context she lives through everything art and culture and theater and history of so much that this author takes us through in a very almost like a lazy river way you know she's not throwing all this stuff at us you're not meant to remember every single person that this character has interacted with but it's done in this way where you're kind of just coasting and relaxing through this book and she's tour guiding you through this character to take in the book as is and i loved it so much i want to reread it but i'm almost still digesting and it's been two months so i recommend this book to anyone who's just wanting to read something incredibly written that way that sounds like an amazing recommendation and uh, well it's on my summer holiday list then yay kelly Oh boy, guys, those are really awesome recommendations. I, however, don't really recommend. I never do it. Again, goes back to, do I remember? Do I get impacted by a book the same way? And I sometimes don't think I do, whether I've never read that book that does that or 
I move on to the next one. And so I almost think, oh, I'll probably have to recommend something with mayhem and murder. But to be honest with you, I'm going to pick a book that we actually did on the, the Kelly and Company book review when we do a little book chat after reading a book that we invite everybody to read. And Rami, of course, you know this one, Five Little Indians, a novel oh, yeah. by Michelle Good, which was recommended by one of our listeners. It's a 2020 book. And I think due to the residential school stuff going on in, in Canada, uh, the graves being found, everything, my own history being at a, a residential school for the blind and just the different things that relationships at the school, thank goodness we didn't deal with the kind of horrible atrocities that went on for a lot of people in the circumstance uh, like a residential school depicted in the book. But we have five characters that were at this school, uh, their lives and how they intertwined when they were out of the school, how they ended up being at the school and were forced, which so many of us are hearing about nowadays that there was no choice and this was the goals of the schools. So before some of the stuff that's currently going on over here uh, started to happen, this book was written and brought for me a world that I, I didn't know. I knew of what what was being asked when it came to trying to make up for the atrocities and now seeing that how could you make up for these atrocities. And I'm glad I had that opportunity to read the book and look into uh, the world. So uh, definitely, I, I, I really felt Michelle Good's book was a really good read, Five Little Indians, a novel. Well, those are three really amazing, highly empathetic recommendations. Thank you, all three of you. And before I ask you my final question, it's time to go into a commercial break. Catch up with this and every episode of My Life in Books by visiting ami.ca and searching for My Life in Books. More from Red Sale and his guest in a moment. You're listening to My Life in Books with Red Sale, only on AMI-audio. You're listening to a special birthday edition of My Life in Books. This month, I'm in conversation with three of my fellow hosts from AMI, Dave, Kelly and Ramya. We're talking about our reading journey. Ramya, once your interest in reading had been sparked, was that it? Could you just not get enough audiobooks? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate, Red, because the the thing about it is it was reading that was my problem. Um, I didn't want to be sitting in front of a novel. I didn't want the the bright lights that you <laughs> alluded to earlier. Um, one time I, I decided I was going to sit down and read The Great Gatsby because I had a book report due. And it took me like hours just to get through a reasonable amount of the book to say I've tried hours and hours and I was like this is not gonna work for me but the wonderful thing that I knew I already was invested in was listening to stories right listening to people tell me stories my mom was a huge storyteller and it wasn't even that she was reading books for us but she would just tell stories of her growing up and things that she went through and her family affairs and all kinds of stuff and I loved it and she would bring this up around mealtime around bedtime and those things I was very used to and loved it. So story time was always big in my head. And when I um, discovered audiobooks or gradually started to turn into how I can listen to stories rather than read them myself and go through the pain and headache of it all, I felt like I didn't really need convincing for audiobooks. It was just there. Um, I quickly went over to whatever was available, whether it be the CNIB sending actual physical DAISY audio to me or um, audiobooks that we could download digitally. I was all in. Now, I think you're younger than me, so presumably you were getting CDs, memory sticks or downloads from the very beginning. Pretty much. CDs was what we started with, uh, but that became kind of cumbersome. You know, I was already using an MP3 player and stuff. So so we started to move over to the digital quite quickly as soon as I realized that was a, an option. Yeah. Uh, now, Kelly, I think we're a bit more of an age. Were you getting those huge, great tapes thumping through your letterbox? Oh, yeah. They'd come in the pouches and we had the back in the day, the old blue here in Canada. Uh, C&IB would offer up these can 78s, they called them. There was a 
bigger one, Can 77, that some people had, and then the uh, GE pieces of gear that were all big, and you'd listen to the four-track tapes, which were just phenomenal, especially you'd get into a book and something would happen to it. Then I moved into CDs, um, and I had a Discman that I loved that was AM, FM. I could play CDs. I'd take that on the subway. And when the iPhone came along, I just, my head was, I can get rid of having all of this pieces of gear and listen to radio, my books and, and whatever, all on one thing. So that kind of was my journey going through that. And in school, yeah, when they did let us use talking books, it was always cassette sped up. I was going to say, I think, you and I and Ramya, we we must all have got very used to listening to things at sort of 1.25 or one and a half times speed. Oh, yeah. I find it almost impossible to listen to things at normal speed now. Mm-hmm. Well, and back then, it really was kind of speeding it up and people would walk in, what are those termites talking? It would just, they'd be fast. <laughs> now with technology and digital, you can have the sped up voice without changing the voice. Absolutely, yeah. And Dave, I know the a Walkman changed your life for the better and got you into radio. What about you? Have you found that technology has really changed how you access your books over the years and increased your enjoyment? It's so interesting that you guys identify that about the technological journey, because that's something that really happened in my teenage years in the late 90s, where the digital just became more available. And I mentioned that I still will use that magnifying glass, that shot glass-like magnifying glass to do some reading. And there was a point in my life where I was just so comfortable using that anywhere that I just realized that's how I was going to access print and I would use it. And if I was on the bus or I was in a restaurant or I was at a cafe waiting for a friend, it didn't matter. I was totally comfortable using it and I loved using it. So as I was in late high school and CGEP in my college and university life, I was just plowing through books, like plowing through books using that thing. And then something happened. It must've been about 10 years ago when I first got a smartphone and I realized, oh my gosh, you can download books right out of the Google Play Store. And then, of course, things like Kindle came along and buying things right from Amazon and going straight to your phone. And then having the ability to zoom in to a text that I liked or reversing the contrast in a way that was more comfortable on my eyes. So now it wasn't a question of necessarily having to use my magnifying glass in public, but I was able to, to bring an entire library with me wherever I went. So, so now reading on the bus was just reading on my phone. And, and this was one of the most freeing feelings that I've ever had in my life. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and, and actually that, that growth in accessibility has also led to a growth in availability. I remember one of my great frustrations studying English literature at university was that, yeah, you could get most of the works of Dickens or, or anything kind of old, relatively easy, although it did sound like it had been read by a man in a dinner jacket in the 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> But you wanted to get anything more modern, and that was it. You'd have to write off to the R&IB over here and request, and maybe six months later, somebody might record it, or they might get in an abridged version. And yet now it's the norm for a book to be published simultaneously in print, ebook, and audio. Did any of you have trouble getting hold of reading materials at school, university, or afterwards? Yes, I did. And I also took English for a year. So that was really fun because it was a lot of reading. And that's when I started to use a screen reader as well. So there was just so many uh, different transitions that I was going through. And to try to get anything as an audiobook meant that you'd had to wait months yeah. sometimes and months is like courses done you know so what i started to do was use my screen reader to read pdfs um it was mm. much easier and quicker to get reading material in pdf format and in readable pdf so i started to just bulk read my books and let me tell you you guys think i read listen to audiobooks fast now um i got through so much reading <laughs> in university uh with a screen reader just like yeah. days yeah. you know yeah. yeah gone with the wind 48 hours done uh because 
because you had to get it done that way or else you were falling behind and you were falling behind if you didn't have that in the first place. So it was kind of a great fix for me because before that I wasn't even a screen reader user, right? But I, I decided that I was going to switch over just to make life easier for myself and eye strain and all of it. Uh, so having that option and then saying, yeah, I can I can read. It doesn't matter how I do it. It's not ideal. It's not a storytelling, but um, it's still something that I can get done. Hmm. I used to use a scanner. Uh, I remember going in college, taking a Friday afternoon because we finished early and going into the library where they had one scanner. We could scan it with an open book program and, and get everything that I needed. The problem was taking the book, taking the time to scan. And all of a sudden, after it spent 40, 50 seconds scanning, it would say, cannot read yeah, because there'd be a graphic mm -hmm. on the page. But if you didn't realize that when you put it down, you don't know, you move on to the next one and then you take the thing home and read it and, and you know, you have your access. It's great. But if anything was out of sequence, if, if something got messed up because you had a couple of blank pages and things like that, it just became frustrating. And there were built in issues that can happen. So like Ramya, as soon as, you know, I had to start reading some things on a computer, uh, mainly that was in my, my work area, but in college, I think I had people read things for me, type things out. That would be the way if, if something was handed out as a handout, the best you could do is have it sent to you and, and read it through a screen reader. So education-wise, asking for books because they picked their books out in August, like Ramya said, it took forever. Yeah, I, I do remember being told that one of the books that I wanted wasn't available in audio, but I could have it in Braille and wondering whether I would learn how to use Braille before they'd actually managed to produce an audio version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I used to find that would took a while, but not to mention carrying Braille was just so, mm. oh my goodness. And if it gets wet as well, I just... <laughs> Where are these dots? It's a flat yes. page, it's blank. Absolutely. So one of my great comfort reads is actually one of the first books that was simultaneously published in print and audio. And I love to curl up with it on a rainy day. Dave, is there a book that you like to curl up with and reread as comfort food? There are two books that I will revisit all the time. Maybe not on a rainy day, but if I find myself taking a long plane ride or a long train ride somewhere, I like to bring myself a little bit of comfort literature, I suppose. And it really depends on my mood. There's one book that I read when I was about 18 years old called The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, which is a coming-of-age story that really deals with some intense mental illness. It's it's a powerful read. It can at times be a difficult read, but it is on a very short list of books that I've read in a single day, the first time I cracked the cover. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful book, and it's one that I'll come back to regularly. The other one, now this one's not for the kids, so uh, make sure your kids aren't reading this one on the fly, but it's a book called The Average American Male by Chad Kultkin. Uh, let's just say it is deeply inappropriate, probably hasn't aged particularly well. The humor is extremely dark, and it makes me almost pee my pants laughing every time I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, have you got a, a book like that or is yours uh, a, a fluffy and comforting book? Mine are more, uh, well, the one, <laughs> I don't know, because the one that I've always, I won't say always gone back to, but for a time in my life, I always really enjoyed Weathering Heights by Emily Bronte. Mm. So um, and I think I found the character of Heathcliff mm. so fascinating to the point where, and again, I started getting interested in theater in, in um, high school. Uh, one of my teachers got me into it. So I started making the connection of books and plays and, of course, not so much movies, but stuff that was done into plays. And a guy I know did an adaptation for a fringe festival here of Weathering Heights. And I asked him if I could borrow it in the theater troupe I worked with. We put it on. So I had the the the, the chance to play Heathcliff in this play. Uh, and it was just one of those things that I really enjoyed. I have no idea so much why, I guess, the darkness of the character. So, uh, you know, some people would say, well, that's an inappropriate, mean character that you want to play. Oh, yeah. So I think that would be it. And that's the rainy day one. And I remember getting that in high school given to me and they never got it back. I hope your teachers are not listening now. They might be coming after you. <laughs> Big fine foot. Yeah, you keep those old cassettes, Kelly. <laughs> and Ramya, I think we've already mentioned your go-to comfort read. Uh, um. Yeah, my go-to seven books, right, Red? Um, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> of course, we're talking about the Harry Potter series. And I, I do want to preface this by saying I didn't read Harry Potter when everybody else was reading it. Um, I think I even remember one of my friends saying, you know, you would love, you would love this. And that was when, you know, everyone was on board with Harry Potter. It was just book one that was out. And she started to read this to me over the phone and I fell asleep. I was like, what? How can I get into something like this? And it's because I was never really into delving into fantasy. Uh, I, I couldn't really grasp, you know, leaving my world and going to another. I guess I didn't have a huge sense of imagination at that time. And so Harry Potter did that just as a, like, you know, dipping your toes in fashion, right? J.K. Rowling just kind of brings this world to you and you don't really have to invest in it until Harry Potter invests in it. And something about that just made me so involved, so immersed that this is the the book that I go to, um, you know, specifically books three and six are what I go to on rainy days, uh, cozy bedtimes. And just anytime I say, you know, today's an audiobook, stay home and read audiobook day, not a work type day that I'm talking about Harry Potter. Uh, and you mentioned Stephen Fry, but I actually go to Jim Dale for my audiobooks. I thought that he did an excellent job. I'm not sure if there's some controversy around that in the UK, but um, here I'm a huge Jim Dale fan. Uh, I would listen to either of them quite happily. And awesome. Kelly, I hear a note of um, disagreement in the background, but I, nobody can paint a scene like J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. you, you, I always feel fantasy you have to be grabbed by it. I can't sit here and pretend I've never read one fantasy book because I, I used to think as a kid, these things are silly. It's all just made up. Anyway, you know, like, come on. But like you say, there's a skill to build that environment, that mm -hmm. world. And when you put a couple of great readers, like you've mentioned there, you're, you're really going to get it. I remember trying to read Harry Potter before people even knew what it was. People would say, what are you reading? Oh, this Harry Potter book. What is that? So that tells you how long ago. And I couldn't, couldn't finish it. My mother... Oh my gosh, I'd have to go over and come on, Cal, sit down and watch Harry. Oh no. Rumya and her would, we'd never see them. They'd, they would get together and they would disappear for a weekend of Harry Potter. Absolutely. Well, I think after the break, we should discuss how a narrator can make or break a book and also find out what books we've been reading recently that we would like to recommend to the listeners. This is My Life in Books on AMI Audio with Red Sale. We're back in a moment. listening to My Life in Books with Red Sale, only on AMI-audio. Welcome back to My Life in Books. This month, I'm in conversation with Dave, Kelly and Ramya. And for my final question, I want to ask you all, which author, alive or dead, would you like to invite onto your show to discuss their books? I'd like to invite Agatha Christie, but I'd be afraid that she might poison me. So I'd probably just settle for Homer because he was blind and he did write The Odyssey, which I think is probably the foundation of most big epic quest novels. So, Dave, who would you want to get onto now? So allow me to also pick a dead author first. For me, a little bit of Ernest Hemingway. Let's have a couple of drinks and talk about the craft with Ernest Hemingway. But in all seriousness, uh, Dave Eggers wrote some books at the turn of the century, uh, two of which stick with me to this day. A heartbreaking work of staggering genius and You Shall Know Our Philosophy. He also wrote a couple other books uh, later on in the decade that were quite fascinating and maybe a little ahead of their time, including a book called The Circle. I just think that he is a very modern, individual. I don't think he's quite a millennial. I believe he's late Gen X, but he really has that identity of authorship, blurring reality and fiction in the way that he writes, and I adore his writing. Ramya, who would you get onto Kelly and Co? You know, this is a, a real interesting question, Red, and I, I didn't think about it too much, but I'd say off the top of my head, Stephen King, but just because 
How do I put this nicely? He has a lot of courage um, putting out the books that he's put out. And that's kind of straight from the beginning, even with his pen names and uh, the kinds of writing he puts out there. Sometimes you're just kind of scratching your head like, what? How does this work out? But it does. And uh, he has super fans. I'm, I'm not one of them, full disclosure, but he has super fans out there, a, a whole big following of people who just love where he goes where he takes his series and everything is different from one thing to another. So I'm not sure if he does this through analysis or if he just lets his mind wander, his his pen wander and uh, go for it. Um, so maybe him and his editor would be a nice duo to have <laughs> on the show. <laughs> and last but not least, Kelly, who is your dream Ooh. guest? I think it would have been Mickey Spillane back in the day, the writers of the Mike Hammer series and so much more because I love that kind of, as I say, mayhem, murder kind of uh, descriptive and, and, of the era when the, these old time private detectives and setting up what that was going to look like. So many detectives were so flawed, alcoholics, you know, violent in one way or another, they were not appealing people. And that became an in vogue thing. And for, for writing a character like that, different situations that you're putting a private detective in has always fascinated me because of the research required. If you're going to make this story up, you've got to kind of know the person alive that I would love to sit down with because I'm trying to figure some of the format, the way that some of the writing is done today would be James Patterson. What I find interesting is these books that are co-written and they come out so fast, so many, it's almost sometimes I feel like is this some kind of machine turning these out? Are these a real person? You know, of course he's, he's a real person, but I find it amazing the way that the stuff comes out now and the books can seem so different. So many styles to get into so many genres. Uh, I would love that from just like the research and formatics uh, discussion. And I think if Mickey Spillane was still alive, same kind of thing. And as we talk about fantasy worlds, how you paint this kind of private detective runs rampant mm -hmm. world and the details and do your research to learn so that you can create this story worthy of listening to and making it at least the story part of it, other than the violence, believable. Well, the three of you have been my dream guests. So thank you very much for spending the afternoon on My Life in Books. Dave, Kelly, Ramya, it's been an absolute pleasure. Red, you're supposed to butter us up before you interview us, not after the interview. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was good, though. Yeah. Can you put this at the front? <laughs> Thanks again to everyone involved in making this very special first birthday edition of My Life in Books, not least my producer, Sean Priest. He and I are already working on the next episode, and from next month, there'll be a new episode every two weeks. So don't forget to tune in, same time, same place, to listen to another top author talking books. Keep in touch with Red by emailing feedback at ami.ca or leave a voicemail on 844-971-1999 and share your favourite reads. And don't forget, you can listen again to this episode and every episode of this program by visiting ami.ca and searching for My Life in Books, or find us in whatever podcast player or smart device you use. Catch you next time. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.